0: All right, this just got real, guys. Um, Good morning, everyone. Just a heads up, we will be in Acts chapter 2 today, um, verses 37 to 47. So if you want to go ahead and and grab your Bible, your phone, your tablet, whatever sort of device that you can uh, read scripture on, go ahead and do that. Um, So first things first, the title of my message today is The Home Study, Identifying a Healthy Family. Um, So I wrestled uh, back and forth on how to frame and how to present um, the information and I guess just what I feel led to say today and until I finally settled on this idea of a home study. If any of you have experience with fostering children or possibly even adoption, you will know what a home study is for sure. For those of you who don't, a home study is something conducted by either a private, private organization or a private party or an arm of the foster system, if you're looking to um, foster children. The individual or individuals conducting the home study will sit down with the, pers- the prospective parents in order to get to know them. When we had ours done, Lindsay and I, um, we were asked just all sorts of questions. Um, like, what was your upbringing like? What forms of discipline did your parents use? What forms of discipline do you plan on using? How was your relationship with your siblings? And then also asking Lindsay and I what our relationship was like together. Um, The questions really went on and on. But at the end of the day, they are trying to evaluate whether or not your home and family is healthy enough to have a child placed in it. So with this idea of a home study in mind, I would like to evaluate this family. Now I know that I'm not qualified to do this, but God's word definitely is. Um, So a few months ago... When we started the conversation as elders that led to our new vision of fostering the family of God, on my mind immediately was the church beginning in Acts 2, and seeing an example in Scripture of what a church looks like that is functioning the way it was intended and created. So with that, let's open to Acts 2 and get going. So Acts 2, like I said, we're going to be starting in 37, but first... I'm going to set a little bit of a backstory for you. In the previous chapter, first chapter in Acts, Jesus has just ascended into heaven, leaving his apostles with the promise of a baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now I'm sure none of them really knew what that was going to look like or what to expect. So we enter chapter 2 and, excuse me, so we enter chapter 2. When we enter chapter 2, they're all just kind of, sitting around, waiting for something to happen. They knew that Jesus told them to stay in Jerusalem and wait, so that's exactly what they were going to do. Then comes the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes down on each of them with the sound of a great rushing wind, with with tongues of fire landing on each, each of them. A crowd gathered because of the sound they heard, and the apostles began to preach to them in a way that every single person was able to understand in their own language. Peter stands up and begins to quote prophets and describe what was happening, explaining to them boldly who Jesus was and is. He rounds it all off with straight up convicting them of having a hand in crucifying Jesus. And that is where we're going to start reading in verse 36. I said 37, I'm sorry. Now I'm saying 36. Just just roll with me here, okay? 36. So Acts 2, um, verse 36. for the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, every every one whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added to that and there were added that day about three thousand souls. So, I'd like to stop right there. Um, and for over the next few verses, I'd really like you to pay attention. Um, I'd like you to think about our church family specifically, listening to how the early church interacted with each other to see in which ways you can or can't picture our family in the same manner. So, verse 42 And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So I've been attending this church since I was a senior in high school some 15 years ago. Wow. 15 years ago. I was baptized here. I was married here. And I wasn't going to say this before Lindsay ran off, but 10 years ago on Friday. So... We were married 10 years ago uh, this Friday, or last Friday, so 10 years, it's awesome. I can wholeheartedly say that this is my church family. When I read those last few verses in my mind, I can picture specific people in specific situations over the years that reflect some of those qualities to a T. Keeping this idea of a home study in mind, I'd like to share with you some of those qualities that I think we as a family do really well then also a couple that at the very least should bear as a reminder for us. Number one. I'm sorry, I don't have bullet points. I wasn't that organized this week, sorry. Number one, being devoted to Scripture. The first thing it says is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In my experience in the last few years at this church, being a deacon and now an elder, I can tell you for certain that this idea of our teaching being completely based on what we find in Scripture has been held with the utmost importance. We are not about always preaching feel-good sermons. We are not afraid to cover hard topics in our Sunday school or Wednesday night classes. We don't want our kids to just learn life lessons and how to be kind. Although those things obviously aren't bad, obviously aren't bad things to learn, We want our members, no matter how how young, to be introduced to the gospel, to the fact that we are all sinners in need of a Savior, that everything we do as believers is in response to what God has done for us through Jesus. If we are generous, it is because he has been generous to us. If we are kind, it is because he has shown us kindness. When we are patient, it is because God has shown us great patience. I'm thankful to be a part of a church where this is the case, when it is so easy to get caught up in things that would distract us from these truths. Number two, take a breath real quick, guys. They ate together. I can talk about this all day. (laughs) Verse 42 and 46 says that they broke bread together in their homes. So when thinking of sharing food and how it relates to our specific church, for some weird reason all I could think about was desserts and sweet things and the people that made those happen in my life. And may come as a shock to some of you. I know for a fact that if you want a cake or a pie made, you need to talk to Charlotte Mooney. If you want donut holes or any assortment of, of sweet treats, you need to talk to Trish Warden. If you want some delicious cornbread that you can then dump warm honey on, talk to Bridget. If you want... Let's see. If you, have a, if you want a life-changing pizza experience, you need to talk to Emma Beamer and find out what a fruit pizza is. If you want some baller oatmeal chocolate chip cookies, just talk to my mom. On a serious note, though, I would say that 75%, if not more, of all the relationships... I don't know why I threw 75% in there, guys. I just threw a big percentage. A big percentage <laughs> of the relationships I have made in this church. I don't keep track. If you thought I kept track. Uh, uh, <laughs> a big part of the relationships I've made in this church over the years have been over the meal setting. The conversations that have been had, the, the friendships that have been made, the trust and devotion that comes from seeing those friendships grow. It has easily gotten to the point where it doesn't make any sense to me when I try to differentiate between church family and my flesh and blood. But it does make complete sense when I read the next few verses in Acts describing this church's devotion to one another. So, point number three, the generosity and devotion. In verse 44 and 45, says that they had all things in common and they sold belongings and possessions in order to meet, to meet needs. This was one aspect of our church that first, the one aspect of our church that first came to my mind when thinking about Um, the church in Acts 2. The generosity I have not only witnessed but personally experienced inside this family has shaped me as a believer. The devotion we have to one another almost seems second nature now that I've been a part of it, around it for so long, but it must not be overlooked. When we witness and take part in this devotion to one another, it's not intended to fill us with personal pride but gives us reason to be grateful to be a part of God's family. I wanted to share an example of this gener- generosity and devotion that will stay with me for, forever. And actually, I have a picture. Tony, do you have a picture? All right. <laughs> when Oliver first joined our family, we, had, we literally had 21 hours from the first phone call to the moment when we are holding him in our arms. He was one day old, and we were officially parents. Over the next few days in the hospital, we were able to share hugs, tears, and sweet memories with our families, as well as our church family, that we will never forget. Sorry, I'm sniffling really loudly over the microphone. That's weird. I need to do this or something. On arriving home with our new little boy, we found our front porch completely covered in gifts so much so that we couldn't even open our front door. I mean, we didn't buy diapers till Oliver was about two years old. (laughs) Upon opening the cards that accompanied the gifts, we found name after name of members of this church family that had been notified of our emergency-type situation and, and immediately acted in support and with very generous hearts. I am blessed to have people in my life that model these qualities so well and take no glory for themselves. All right, that was a hard one, guys. Uh, Point number four is repentance. So these last two points I have included as more of an observation or a reminder. When comparing our family to the family in Acts 2, It is easy to get stuck on things that we do well and maybe miss some very foundational aspects of the church. First is their beginnings out of repentance. Peter, when addressing the crowd, very boldly preaches the gospel and brings the people face to face with the reality of their sin. As part of our home study for foster and adoption, you are required to have a physical walkthrough of your home. Now in preparation for our first walkthrough, Lindsay and I had some concerns about compliance due to the age of our home, and because it has rooms in it that have been half done for longer than I am willing to admit. <laughs> we didn't have any kids yet, so we weren't, we didn't know what the red, red flags, uh, what, what, sorry, we didn't know what fl- red flags would be raised. It was kind of one of those classic shove everything in a closet moments, and um, try to think about how to, how to direct them away from certain rooms. So it turns out that a lot of our concerns were unnecessary, and the inspectors were more than understanding. Their job isn't to give you a pass-fail, per se, just to make you aware of the things that you need to address before you can be approved. They are aware that all houses have some issue or another, and, that, and they are there to bring them to your attention to help you towards compliance. I think that we find ourselves there spiritually when it comes to this idea of repentance. We're so nervous for people to see our sin, so we keep it locked up. We direct any conversation away from from anything that may shed light on what's really going on. The purpose of feeling conviction over sin in our life, especially as a believer, is the same as with that walkthrough. God is graciously showing us the areas of our hearts that need attention if we are to be effective parts of his family. In Acts, it says that the crowd was cut to the heart. For the Jews, dealing with their sin up to this point required some sort of sacrifice or physical atonement. But when faced with Peter, showing them the condition of their heart, they had no clue what to do. Repentance, repentance shows an understanding of, of God's grace, but also our complete dependence on the, on the name of Jesus to save us from our sin. So, number five, the Holy Spirit. My final observation, and, and most important by far, is that there is one common thread throughout that weaves all of these aspects together, our function, our relationships, our devotion to one another, even our repentance, and that is the Holy Spirit. When you get caught up in the details, sometimes you forget the big picture. Let me remind you of what these apostles were doing when the Holy Spirit first showed up. They were waiting. Ever since they they all agreed to first follow Jesus, he had been there to learn from and to listen to. Without him there, they were leaderless and I would assume quite clueless on what to do next. The Holy Spirit shows up and instantly changes these soft-spoken men into bold, gospel-proclaiming, miracle-working, testaments to the work, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The church doesn't happen if the Holy Spirit is not there. Our church is pointless unless the Holy Spirit is present. We cannot grow individually and cannot possibly be expected to disciple others unless we have had our start where those believers did, being cut to the heart in a response to our sin and being led to true repentance. The response of the work of the Holy Spirit, the response to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives plays itself out like it did in that early church. We will be quick to repentance, overflowing with devotion to one another, having glad and generous hearts, and a true hunger for, for what God's word says. At the end of Acts chapter two, it shows us what happens to a church that is led by the Holy Spirit. It says that the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. And can you imagine that? We can't imagine that, we just, we just witnessed it. But. So when the home study interview is conducted, Uh, there's a question that is asked quite early on that really sets the tone for the rest of the meeting. And that question is, why do you want to foster or adopt? The answer for Lindsay and I included the realization that we were unable to have biological children. Now, to Lindsay's credit, her mind went immediately to adoption once faced with this reality. Although it took me a while longer to work through some major, major bitterness, I had in my heart. I finally came around and agreed to start the process. Long story short, there's a picture. So now we have Oliver, whose adoption was finalized just weeks after he joined our family. And Isaiah, who is currently in the foster system, but who we hope, and pray we'll become a Landreth soon, but is no less our son. See, I'm trying to extend the time here by crying. By <laughs> it was too short, so tears are good time fillers. We had the privilege of taking a family vacation to Colorado this last August. We, uh, we love And even when I was growing up, we love um, escaping the heat of the Kansas summers to the cool climate of the mountains. It's kind of an outdoorsy vacation where we enjoy kayaking, playing in the rivers and lakes. And this time we were able to take um, a side-by-side ATV that we were able to borrow from a friend. Uh, One early afternoon, I decided to take the boys with me and go for a quick drive on the dirt roads around our cabin. Now... Now, I don't know if it was the fresh mountain air or the beautiful scenery or just the fact that I had my two sons sitting next to me while doing these things. But I pull up to an intersection, I take a second and just stare at those boys for a moment. I had a question enter my mind that legitimately broke my heart. Now before I tell you what that question was, I really don't want you to think that I, that I think too highly of my own family, but, in, but the reality is that foster and adoptive families don't grow except, except from broken ones. That question was, where would these boys be if they were not right here with me? That question should resonate resonate with each of us as it relates to this family that we have been adopted into. Where would each of us be today? If in his grace and decision to act, God had not sent Jesus to bring us into his family. The answer to that question should be all the motivation you need to speak boldly about what God has done in your life to those around you that need to hear it. We live in a broken world full of broken people, broken families, and they need a healthy family united in our dependence on the blood of Jesus, led by the Holy Spirit, to bring them in and to raise them up. Thanks.